There is a, a scene that plays out in the life of every comedian, especially one that is uh, young and just starting out. They go out on the stage, start telling a joke, or they start telling a funny story. People begin to laugh, comedians beginning to feel a little good about themselves. And then all of a sudden, there is a voice in the dark that begins heckling. And that comedian is immediately faced with a dilemma. Poise or panic? Poise or panic? If not prepared for the possibility of a heckler, the comedian will begin to fall apart, will lose poise, and the heckler will steal the show. Unless the comedian has entertained the possibility that facing a heckler is part of the reality of his life, avoiding panic, therefore, and being able to maintain poise. How does that happen in real life? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I said if there was a key word for 2020, it would be the word unprecedented. We were entering into a lot of unprecedented times and situations, circumstances. The key word for 2021, I think, is uncertainty. There are certain things that we just don't know. Uncertainty is really, is really about information gaps about information gaps which lead to the worst-case scenario thinking that is possible in every human being. For instance, what do parents think when they've told their teenage son to be home at midnight and it's 1 o'clock in the morning? Worst-case scenario thinking, right? We don't think that he's probably at a Bible study or he's probably you know, at the church baptizing his best friend. What we think is that there's a car upside down on the side of the highway someplace uncertainty leads to worst-case scenario thinking. Worst-case scenario thinking can bring out grouchy, the crabby, and the cranky. And the grouchy and the crabby and the cranky can spread from you to me or from me to you. There's a writer on the book of Philippians that, from which uh, Edward just read a couple of minutes ago, a fellow by the name of Gerald Hawthorne, who asks a really important question. The question is phrased like this. How does one gain and keep his equilibrium in a world heaving with anxiety-producing situations? How does one gain and keep his equilibrium in a world that is heaving with anxiety-creating situations. Does it not seem like our world is heaving a little bit with anxiety-creating situations? Does it not feel from time to time during the day that we are being heckled? Modern thinkers and modern uh, public thinker types really obsess a lot of the time over the question, why do, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen? Now, ironically, that is not a question that you find a lot of systematic treatment in the Bible. The reason for that, biblical writers believe that they knew the answer to why bad things happen in the world and why we go through the valleys and through those dark times. The reason, according to the biblical writers, the world is fallen. The world is fallen, which means that our planet is influenced by powers intent on blocking and perverting the will of God. In other words, your peace as a human being is under attack by beings seen and unseen. You are being heckled about what you believe your faith is all about. 
Now, if there's nothing else that you walk away from this morning, here's the big idea that I want you to think about for the rest of the week and especially the rest of today. The idea is this. God's peace is always possible in any predicament. That is a reality in which you live. God's peace is always possible in any predicament. A guy that knew that as well as any other person, second only to Jesus, was this guy in the Bible that we call Paul. Paul at one point was the greatest opponent of Jesus and the disciples of Jesus on planet earth. And then one day, you can read about this in Acts chapter 9, Paul on the way to the city of Damascus has an encounter with Jesus that just completely reverses his entire life. Instead of destroying churches, he becomes the greatest church planter of all time. And what that meant is he would go from city to city, village to village, town to town. He would go to all of these places, uh, these population centers of the Mediterranean world. And he would go into these places where people had not even heard the name Jesus. And by the time he left, there was a church in existence. It was not an easy life. And there were times in which it was an incredibly difficult life. And there were times when it was an incredibly dangerous life. An example of this is when he and another fellow, fellow worker by the name of Silas, went into a city called Philippi. It's a Roman colony. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16. But the story is, he goes into Philippi. It starts out well enough with some conversions, including this very affluent woman by the name of Lydia. And then one day, Paul is confronted by a woman who had become possessed. She was overcome by a spirit that enslaved her, but in enslaving her, had endowed her with the ability to be able to predict the future accurately. So not only was this poor woman enslaved by an unclean spirit, but she had become the slave of some men who were using her powers to predict the future accurately to make money. She was a commodity to them. And so Paul, through the power of the Spirit and the name of Jesus, casts this spirit out of the woman. She is brought to her right mind. She is made whole again. It's a miracle. Now you would think at first blush that that's a great thing, that it's a good thing for this, this woman to be restored to her, her humanity. But the owners of this woman are hacked. They have had their meal ticket, their paycheck taken away from them. And the owners of this woman, they grab Paul and Silas, they drag them into the marketplace in front of all of the city magistrates and authorities, and they say in verse 21, these men are Jews. They're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept and practice. Now notice all of the good stuff they left out. The fact that the woman was healed, the fact that the woman was in her right mind, all of that has been left out. All the people here is that they're just, it's, just, it's just terrible what these guys are doing, having us advocate and practice things that are not right for Romans. And so the city, the crowd begins to get into an uproar, and the magistrates have to act to keep the riot from breaking out. And so they order, grab Paul and Silas, strip their shirts off, and beat them with rods. And then to add you know, uh, insult to injury, they throw him into a jail. But not just a jail, the inner jail where it was darkest. And not just into the inner darkness, but into a place where they had their feet locked in stocks. Now, you're Paul or you're Silas. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? God's peace is possible in any predicament, right? 
So Paul and Silas in the dark, in the stocks, in the chains, under arrest, beaten, nursing their wounds. Paul and Silas do not know what the Philippians are going to do next. But they do know what they are going to do next, and that's go to church, believe it or not. You find yourself in a situation like that, you go to church, which means that they're going to do what they would normally do on the first day of the week. They're going to worship God and they're going to pray, even in that situation. While they're worshiping, you know the story, there's this earthquake, prison doors fly open and then chains fall to the ground. Everyone is escaping, which means that the jailer himself on duty is going to be punished by death for everyone escaping. So he's going to beat him to the punch and fall on his own, sh- his own sword. Paul and Silas grab him and say, don't do it. And they share with him the gospel and he, take, he takes them to their house, to his house. And long story short, the Philippian jailer becomes a member and his whole household become a member of that church in Philippi. It's kind of a rough beginning for a church, would you not say? Well, some years later, after all this happens, Paul is writing a letter back to that church that he started in Philippi with Silas. And he writes at the beginning of the letter, guess what? I'm back in a Roman prison again. Can you believe it? And times are uncertain, but let me tell you what I'm doing right now. I'm rejoicing in what God is doing in the world through the gospel. And at the heart of all of this is a statement that he makes. Most of you have memorized it, but it is a statement that just oozes with peace. Philippians 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For Paul, I mean, he doesn't know what's going to happen next. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. But one thing he knows without a a shadow of a doubt is that God is the only certainty in uncertain times. Which means that you and I have something to tether our life to in unprecedented and uncertain times when it seems like we're being heckled from voices in the dark. And this is why Paul, as you read throughout his life, the the book of Acts and the letters that he wrote, this is why Paul did not fall apart in a world that was heaving with anxiety-creating circumstances. And this is why Paul, when life seemed uncertain and things were falling apart from him, could talk with a lot of credibility about peace. About peace. So at the end of this letter to the Philippians, he describes a peace process. In, in, uh, twice, in that, at the end of the chapter, he talks about peace. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. The peace of God which transcends all understanding. So he's not talking about a human kind of a peace. It's the kind of peace that a human will experience. But it's one that we don't have the right kind of vocabulary or imagery or metaphors or similes to describe. It is beyond description. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Two verses later, he says, the God of peace will be with you. And when you're in the presence of God of peace and there's peace surrounding him, there's peace surrounding you. So he tells us in these words that uh, were read to us by Edward, four things to do to, to create peace, to experience peace, to encounter God's peace even in uncertain times. The first one is this. Celebrate daily God's nearness. Celebrate daily. Keyword daily, celebrate God's nearness. Dallas Willard, many of you have read his books, he defines reality as what you can count on. 
Reality is what you can count on. Here is your reality and my reality. I can wake up tomorrow morning like I did this morning and say, guess what? I'm doing today with God. Everyone in this room gets up in the morning and says, guess what? I don't care what happens, but today I'm doing today with God. So he says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Rejoicing is what we do when we focus on the gospel, when we focus on the good news. It's impact on our life to the point that the emotion of joy becomes an action. You know, in, in kind of pop, the pop psychology world, we would say back in the 70s and 80s, you act your way into a better, better way of feeling. Uh, later, we would say the right emotions follow the right actions. But rejoicing comes to us when we embrace one of the most basic realities of our life, and that is this. We are never alone. We never do our days alone because God is near. Number two, maintain the fruit of the Spirit. We get to celebrate God's nearness. A little bit more difficult, maintain the fruit of the Spirit. Question, why do we lose our Christian character when things begin to nosedive? When things are going our way, life is good, at least by our definition. When things are nice and going our way, we don't mind crummy traffic, do we? Driving along, somebody's in front of us slowing us down. We say, yes, you're going 55 and a 70, but God bless you anyway. Or you don't mind the long lines at the grocery store. Things are going your way. You, you know, you, life is good. You say, you know, it's H-E-B. Nobody dies. That's just, that's just chill out, everybody. But you let things go south, and we turn into a grinch. We turn into a grouch. Why don't you ask your spouse or your best friend this question sometime today? Am I easy to live with when things don't go my way? Or you might ask it this way. Does adversity bring out the worst or the best in me? So Paul says in verse 4, Let your gentleness, one of the fruit of the Spirit, let your gentleness be evident to all. Even when things are going rotten, maintain the life of Christ in you. When you give in to emotions, you make matters worse for yourself and everyone else around you. Peace. And irritability are incompatible. Maintain the fruit of the Spirit. And then number three, pray when worried. Pray when worried. He says in verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. That word anxious means everything's falling apart. When everything is falling apart, I mean, realize that it doesn't have to be that way in the reality of God, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, three forms of prayer, present, talk to God, about your requests. Paul is saying that when things are uncertain, and when it looks like things are beginning to fall apart, things are beginning to separate, they're beginning to be untethered, that is when I especially need to pray. Talk to God. You know, all of us have somebody that we're so close to that we can share the deepest parts, the, the most vulnerable parts, uh, the, the, the parts that we're most ashamed about. We know without a shadow of a doubt that we can talk to that person about those things and that person's not going to reject us. 
God is that person for us as the Father and the Creator of all that is. It's not formulaic praying, but it's talking to God. You know, what wife says to a husband when he gets home, you better guide, guard, and direct those kids before I kill them. Nobody says that. Or a husband who after dinner says, you know, I'm so thankful that you had a ready recollection of that recipe. We need to have that again. I'm not against, you know, phrases. I'm not against that at all. What I'm against is superficial prayer in times of worry. It's time to bear your soul. Prayer is bringing everything that you are and experience and think about to all that God is. And believe me, He is big enough to take it. And there's not anything that I have ever prayed to Him about in my 59 years of life that He's not heard before. But He's there. And He's listening. Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5, cast your anxiety, all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. And then finally, think about what you're thinking. You ever been walking down the street, driving down the road, in the office, you know, someplace, and realize, man, where is all that anger coming from? Why am I so angry? Why am I so upset? Why am I so down? Where is all that coming from? In Philippians 4, verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think, think, think about such things. One of the things I think most of us, probably all of us, I'd say all, let's just say all of us, need to do is get off of social media if it begins to affect us in negative ways. We need to get off Twitter. We need to get off Instagram. Stop listening to the news. I mean, just give yourself a break sometimes from all the negativity or all of the things that, you know, are meant to press you down or concern you or to scare you or to make you fearful. Sometimes you just need a break. Recently, I was talking to somebody who was just down, 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 down. I said, do you, are you spend a lot of time on Facebook? All the time. Are you on Instagram? All the time. Do you watch the news? It's on 24-7. And what I said was, you know, the world changed in three days. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Why don't you just try getting away from, from all of the news outlets and media and social media and all that kind of stuff for just three days and see what happens. Talk to him three days later. Much better spirit. Sometimes you've got to think about what you're thinking. And you've got to think about what you're inputting. The end result of doing this, Paul says in verse 13, is I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. A paraphrase of that would be, I can handle anything because Christ is at work in me. 2021, we're going to be the people of peace who follow the Prince of Peace and bless the people around us with peace and with a steadfastness because our feet are solid on the rock. Amen?